Hello, and welcome to Risk Chats with a Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we're speaking with our firm president, Ken Fletcher, and we talked about a firm strategy for the next few years, as well as uh, an article that Ken has coming out soon, um, kind of going back to the new normal once uh, the whole COVID crisis is over. Lessons learned as well for risk managers. And we also talk about the virtual summit this year and our uh, annual survey. So without much further ado, let's talk with Ken. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, Very happy today to have with us our current Affirm president, Mr. Ken Fletcher. Hey, Ken, how are you doing? Paul, I'm doing great. Uh, How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, Everything considered, of course. So uh, I think we wanted to talk today a little bit about a couple things. We wanted to talk about a firm's strategy. So over the next few years, kind of where you guys are all guiding the organization. And um, then we're also going to talk about, uh, you did a, uh, you put an article together recently about kind of how, you know, what risks to think about as we return to sort of our new normal situation here, hopefully. Um, and then we'll wrap it up with talking about the summit this year, which is virtual, and also our uh, annual ERM survey. So um, why don't we go ahead and let you start on the strategy? Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, thanks, Paul. Uh, we were, I was actually, uh, we had scheduled a ad hoc membership meeting for early March um, where we were going to present the strategy. Uh, for the association and uh, solicit some feedback comments for folks. Uh, the CAG was going to sponsor that along with a, um, uh, a social hour and COVID-19 hit and, and every all plans, uh, not just the association, but all plans got uh, kind of derailed. But the board started working on a, a, the strategy document um, specifically back in December of last year. And this is really an extension of a lot of great work that Tom Brandt did, uh, you know, during his tenure uh, prior to mine as the association president, where he's focused on uh, community engagement, working more collaboratively with other associations, um, beginning to develop uh, a more sustainable and mature um, infrastructure for the organization. And as we um, as we transitioned, one of the conversations that Tom and I had and uh, Nicole Puri as the president-elect was around um, h- how do we continue that momentum and what are the, some of the challenges that um, the organization um, faces. And one of the challenges that, from my perspective, has had, you know, over two years on the, uh, on the board and attending meetings is that there's a lot of great ideas. There's a lot of energy. Um, in a, you know, all volunteer driven organization, but how, how do we know what are ideas that are worth the time and effort of our volunteers to pursue and which ones are nice ideas, but it's not necessarily advancing the, um, the, of the organization. And so as we were having this conversation, um, part of it was we don't 
we don't as an organization have a strategy. We have a, a short-term strategic goal or strategic plan with some specific uh, goals and objectives that, that you know, plan typically has been covering, you know, two-year uh, time horizon, but we don't have a strategy that really acts as that North Star that the goals should derive from, uh, you know, the uh, activities uh, should derive from, et cetera. So in December, we started, you know, um, working on what would this strategy look like? And one of our sponsors, Deloitte, um, uh, volunteered to take the lead and, and really kind of do some homework on some of the things that had um, uh, were ongoing, uh, looking at uh, the results of some member focus groups that Tom had conducted towards the end of his tenure last year and the results of the annual survey. And we identified um, a number of challenges and um, and we also identified kind of a de facto strategy. As you looked at the things we were doing, you could generally group them into a couple of buckets, but it was by chance rather than by, you know, by intent. Um, so we, we took that uh, input from Deloitte and, and then the board started talking about, you know, some, some broad strategic questions. Really, what are, what are the outcomes that the organization is trying to achieve? Are the activities that, the, that we have been currently doing, are they helping us move forward in accomplishing or achieving uh, a firm's mission and vision? And, and should we continue with those activities? Should we change the frequency or scale of any things that we're doing? And what resources are required to accomplish them? And, um, and then are there any new things that we should do to achieve our mission, better achieve our mission? And then the fundamental question uh, is, what are the required resources to support what we're doing now and what we may want to do new activities going forward? You know, the last several years, the board has had uh, off and on conversations about um, should, you know, are we at the point where we should consider uh, changing our all volunteer business operating model to either hiring a professional um, manager for the uh, association, um, you know, looking at a hybrid model or going to a professional man you know, association management company. Um, but all of those things require, you know, time, people, and money, resources that are um, finite. And so looking at those big questions and having some uh, conversations around um, those uh, things, we, we really, we distilled our efforts down into two broad categories with um, four strategies with, or two strategies within each of those broad categories. Uh, the first broad category is member focus. And um, the, the strategies uh, that fall under member focus are really promoting ERM education and sponsoring ERM professional development for our members. And then the, the second broad category is profession focused. And the two strategies under our focus on ERM as a profession are advancing the federal government ERM profession and then influencing federal government ERM practices. Uh, so those are really the North Star sorts of issues that were 
areas of focus that now we can begin to say what's the right strategic goals that we want to um, uh, put in place uh, the specific objectives that tie to those goals and relate back to that strategy um, and, and then we and then look at the business operating model and some other things so we um, we kind of came to agreement on those four strategic directions or um, four strategies to advance the organization. We also identified three key enablers that um, that we need to make sure we're, we're concentrating on in order to be successful. The first one is to continue to mature the internal infrastructure uh, of the association. Um, as volunteers come in and out, board members come in and out of the organization, um, you know what we find in some cases is that the, the you know that corporate knowledge, that resident memory, or in some cases even the documents um, were you know they left with the individual because the only copy of them were, were on their um, were on their computer. So how do we mature the infrastructure of the organization to better support what we're trying to do? The second uh, key enabler is how do we ensure that we have a sustainable revenue base to accomplish the activities and objectives of, of the organization? And then third, we believe it is important for uh, a firm to continue to expand its membership. We've seen it kind of flattening out around 600, uh, more than double where we were before um, A123 came out in 2016, but we haven't really grown beyond that. And, the, and, and all of these great ideas require time, people, or money. We need, uh, we need better membership and, and, a, and a strong, sustainable revenue base in order to move forward. So broadly, that's kind of the, what got us there and, and where we are from a, a firm strategy perspective. Okay. Yeah. Let me ask a couple of questions uh, if you don't mind. So um, I guess one of my first questions is what, what is kind of the timeline for all this? You know, what, when are you, uh, for the different goals, you know, what, what's the overall timeline? So the planning committee under Christina Girardi and Mark Prada are, are looking at, um, are looking at four activities on, under kind of the next steps. Um, they're doing an, an analysis, a threat analysis of the external threats to the organization um, and the profession and the two big categories that we've asked them to consider in that external threat analysis are what's the potential impact on enterprise risk management with political changes and what's the potential impact on enterprise risk management and a firm specifically from other affiliated or related professional organizations. And then we've asked them to look at, um, we were already planning on refreshing our strategic plan, but we've asked them to, as they go about revising the strategic plan to ensure that it is aligned to the strategy and that it encompasses a much longer time horizon. So instead of two years, uh, we're, we're asking, uh, looking at developing a strategic plan that has a five plus year time horizon. And then the, the third element that they're looking at is, um, 
a review of the existing standing committee structures and looking at them from two perspectives. What what standing committees are, are strategy independent. We just need them in order to continue to function as an organization, things like the audit committee or finance committee. Um, and then what committees are strategy dependent and are they the right committees? Is there overlap? Is there you know, you know uh, fuzzy clarity on uh, roles and responsibilities um, within those committees? And how do we how do we ensure that as we're asking our volunteers to step forward and give their time to advance the organization, that the committee structure is really moving us in the direction that we want uh, we want to go? And and then the final, the fourth uh, element that we've asked them to look at is the business operating model. Is the all-volunteer model the right model for a firm going forward to support the strategy uh, and the, strate the revised strategic plans of the organization? Yeah, I like that. I mean, it sounds like you guys have really done a comprehensive review here, which is which is awesome. Um, so another thing that I'm wondering about, I mean, it sounds like you said, you know, like de facto, I think a firm has pretty much been going down this path for a lot of this, right? I mean, education's always been very important, professional development, um, certifications, things are all part of that, right? Um, and, you know, I don't know if you want to answer this question, you don't have to, but, you know, what types of things maybe did not get into the strategic outlook? You know, what what are kind of like second or third, you know, considerations that maybe aren't necessarily the most important focus? Um, so one of the, one of the challenges that we, we have, and I'm not sure that we, uh, that I can recall a specific thing that didn't make the, the cut, if you will. But one of the things as we have engaged um, much more deliberately with external organizations is how do we begin to evaluate the effectiveness of that engagement? So if we're working, I'll use um, AGA as an example. AGA has been a great partner for with us over the last several years. They helped provide administrative support on a cost reimbursable basis to, for the summit last year, um, et cetera. We're, you know, we do a lot of joint training. There's a um, June 12th joint training session, virtual training session that AGA and a firm are, are conducting. Um, so we can look at AGA relationship and say, there, you know, the, we are getting something out of that relationship that helps us advance the profession. But then we have other relationships with organizations where it's much more difficult for us to say this activity is showing a, a return on investment, um, if you will, that is worth continuing to devote our time and attention to. And so that's kind of the lens that we are looking at. So a lot of uh, community partnership agreements that are out there and, and a conscious look at each of those to say, should we be continuing um, down this path? So there wasn't anything that really specifically we uh, or consciously we said, we're not gonna continue this. What we said is we need to evaluate these things, we can lump almost everything the organization was involved in under one of those four broad strategy buckets, but now we need to um, take a hard look and evaluate whether these are the right um, levels of effort 
the re- right return on investment for, for the association. Right. Well, and uh, just one more question, and then I want to go on to our uh, our next topic. But so I don't recall. Did you say that this strategy is now you know approved and in effect, and is on? Or when would when would the actions start? You know, on to take actions on this uh, strategy. So the strategy uh, was approved by the board uh, in the. February meeting, uh, we did that so uh, because we wanted to be able to talk to the strategy um, at the uh, the March 5th ad hoc membership meeting, um, and unfortunately we didn't. But the planning committee has been engaged in those four next step activities since the latter part of February, and they have a timeline that they're marching to um, a lot of that uh, analysis um, and looks uh, that we've asked them to, to engage in uh, will be done next month, by the end of next month. But we also recognize as a board that this is a um, this effort to shift the organization is um, and align what we're doing w- with our strategy isn't going to be done by the end of my tenure at the end uh, as president. It's going to continue on under Nicole and, and probably others, changing the business operating model, developing sustainable revenue base. Those are long-term investments that, um, that we're not going to, we're not going to be able to accomplish them or implement them um, before, you know, the end of September. Right. Of course. And then uh, actually, is this a public document or is this an internal only uh, it, it is a public document, and one of the things, and Paul, you and I have been talking about, you know, tr- doing this uh, podcast for a while. Um, my, my, what I am planning on doing is, in conjunction with the podcast, um, to have our webmaster uh, post the strategy map on the website so that it, so that, that it is accessible to members primarily, but it will be on the public-facing website. Great. Awesome. Well, speaking of which, um, I know you also have an article that you you recently wrote, and I know that's coming out there or may already be out. So uh, why don't we dive into that? Why don't you give us a little bit of background, what the topic of the article is, and uh, yeah. So this is my president's corner for the upcoming newsletter, and obviously, you know, COVID-19 is, is the primary focus of uh, of almost everything right now, right? It has fundamentally changed the way every organization um, does business, including a firm. Um, And so like all of us, um, or many of us, you know, there's a lot of information out there um, uh, and reading about what are the potential risks and opportunities, et cetera. We started thinking about uh, right now, understandably, the focus of government is is very much near term. Um, how do we address the threat of the virus itself, and then how do we manage or mitigate the potential economic or real economic consequences that that we're beginning to to see? But I came across some articles that um, uh, McKinsey and Company had started producing, specifically related to uh, COVID nineteen, a series of um, business insights, um, and, and they really focused on private sector. But I 
as I was reading through them, it really stimulated a lot of thought in my mind about uh, their parallels to our federal government environment. And thinking about, you know, one of the uh, articles talked about this is an opportunity for organizations to fundamentally change their business. This is a, um, you know, I think uh, Governor Cuomo in uh, in New York has talked at some of his um, daily um, conferences or uh, press availabilities uh, that, you know, they're going to fundamentally change the infrastructure within New York. That's their plan. This provides an opportunity to not just return to the previous, but to return to potentially a, a better state um, over time. And that's an opportunity. And so um, we talk, you know, federal government definition of ERM is, you know, risk is simply the effect of uncertainty on objectives, right? It's, it's, it's a neutral. It's either a threat or it's an opportunity. Um, we think about this most specifically as COVID-19 is a threat um, to the way we have been doing business to, you know, our, our economic viability, et cetera. Um, but from a from an agency perspective, a government agency perspective, or even from an firm association perspective, there are opportunities here, um, both for the ERM profession to advance the goals and objectives of their organization, uh, you know, helping the planning for and, and mitigation of risks. Um, in the planning for recovery or the near term or uh, addressing issues that were identified during this first um, shutdown if we get hit with a serious second wave or subsequent waves and we're forced to kind of go back to the normal that we're, we've been living through over the last you know seven, eight weeks now. Um, how do, you know, there's a role for ERM to play but there's also a, an opportunity role for ERM to play to help uh, agencies think about what structural changes can be or should be made in the intermediate and long-term horizons, and how can uh, how can the um, the enterprise risk management, the risk management professionals, help agency leaders to identify what those potential long-term opportunities are, select the ones that are worth pursuing, and then help manage the, the risks to uh, not realizing the benefits of the opportunities that they've chosen to uh, to seek. Right. And I mean, you know, obviously, I'm just thinking, you know, uh, practical things, and I'm sure risk management considerations, but I mean, for example, the, the amount of time that we're all spending using these uh, conference calls and audio calls or visual calls um i mean in in many ways i think it's a lot of stuff that we probably just didn't use much before but now we realize there's so much more you really can do from home if you if, if you have to so you know maybe even considerations on just telework itself because that was not a huge thing prior to this you know i mean maybe one or two days a week some agencies but maybe this really could make a huge change on you know how much government's spend on leases and office space, right? Things like that. Exactly. Exactly. And then I think, uh, so from an organizational perspective or, you know, an agency perspective, there's opportunities, but there's also opportunities for the ERM function itself. Um, 
COVID the COVID-19 crisis, public health crisis, has really uh, presents an opportunity to to disrupt that linear maturity um, uh, curve uh, for an ERM function, and to really take, in some cases, a discontinuous leap in the maturity level of the organization or uh, of the enterprise risk management program within the organization. So typically, we talk about um, risk modeling and advanced scenario planning and some of those um, uh, other uh, analytical uh, tools associated with with enterprise risk management as uh, maturity level four or maturity level five sorts of capabilities. But they're really important. They can become. I think what we the crisis has highlighted is that there is value in having those capabilities resident within ERM functions now, and and there is an opportunity to, to make that quantum leap in maturity in some areas that that have been uh, illuminated by the crisis, and also to help gain more uh, leadership support for enterprise risk management by helping them, uh, helping leaders manage through. So if we think just about, uh, just about the, you know, the near term over the next, let's say, um, several weeks to several months, you know, the, well, agencies are gonna be faced with how do they continue to manage their vulnerable employee populations, people that are in high-risk um, health groups and are much more susceptible to significant adverse uh, consequences um, from the virus. Are you gonna be able to pull all of your employees back into a normal work environment or are there some that are in those vulnerable populations that need to be handled differently, that need to continue to telework, even though um, the vast majority of the folks uh, may be returning to the workplace. How do you accommodate employees with vulnerable family members that they can't risk catching the virus by coming back to work because the family member at home, if they catch it again, significantly adverse um, individual health consequences? How would can agencies work to mitigate the uh, introduction of the virus into the workplace um, when they come, uh, agencies begin to back, open back up? And is there an opportunity or a methodology to establish and enforce workplace social distancing? And if you have an issue, um, or even not, uh, are the adequacy of this, you know, cleaning uh, and sanitizing contracts uh, sufficient that um, you're mini minimizing the opportunity for someone to uh, become infected with the virus? So there's there's a great opportunity for ERM to help leaders work through those issues, identify others that I haven't even talked about that will gain credibility for the ERM function in the organization. And that's clearly one of the challenges uh, in some agencies is ERM is not necessarily viewed as a value adding function and, you know, or it may be buried too deeply within the CFO shop or aligned with internal controls to where it's not influencing leadership decisions. Risk information is not informing those critical 
organizational decisions, and this is an opportunity to advance the profession in that way, in in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, you know, of course, this is a horrible thing, but it's a it's going to be a very fascinating case study when it's all over for risk managers of all the things that we're going to learn from from this. It's, it's, I mean, it's like a black swan event to some degree, you know, like we really didn't think this thing was coming and just the amazing amount of things that it has rippled through the effects. I mean, good things, but a lot of bad things. I mean, you know, like USCIS, they have to take in what, like a 60% reduction just because, you know, people can't file or aren't filing, you know, for citizenship, things like that. You know, just in their fee-based organization, for example. I mean, there's just so many, you know, tendrils in this thing. I mean, it's really risk managers right now seem to be a, a very important position, something we can really utilize and yep. they can learn a lot. Yep, I would agree. Yeah. Well, we got a couple minutes left, so why don't we uh, kind of top it off here? Um, whichever order you, I'll, I'll I'll let you take it. But um, I know we have a survey, and of course, we want to talk about the um, our summit this year. So why don't you uh, go into those subjects for us? Okay. Um, so let's talk, let's touch on the summit first. Um, the summit will be virtual this year. Uh, our theme um, for the summit is. Um, uh, creating a clear 2020 ERM vision to take on tomorrow's risks. Um, kind of a play on the fact that we are in 2020 uh, calendar year and 2020 vision being perfect vision. Um, it's it's going to be a one-day virtual event. We have moved the summit from our traditional end of October um, time slot to September 10th. And we did that primarily because, well, first of all, we had the opportunity to do that, but it also allows um, federal employees that want to attend or participate in the summit to be able to use current fiscal year $20 um, to pay the registration fee rather if their agency covers that, rather than having to wait until the next fiscal year and the uncertainties about budget that seem to be more frequent as the fiscal years are beginning over the, you know, over the, some period of time. Um, and the other big change is uh, that we have significantly simplified the registration and fee structure. So in the past, we had multiple categories for members and non-members and this for this virtual summit there will be a single price for a non-affirmed member and a single price for an affirmed member for early bird and and then a, a higher price so early bird registration is open now uh, it opened on may 7th it will uh, close on august 17th and for our members um the registration fee is $149, so significantly less than what we have asked uh, for registration fees um, for the in-person summit. And then regular registration fee uh, will kick in on August 18th and run through September 10th. So that's that's kind of the, the news on the summit. Uh, the, the summit planning committee, uh, Meredith Stein, under Meredith Stein, and, and uh, Marianne Roth, the chair and co-chair respectively, are deeply engaged in uh, creating the agenda. There will be four, uh, I guess, uh, two plenary speakers. 
we were presented with a, uh, op some options um, for those at the board meeting earlier this month. We will finalize the decision on plenary speakers by the end of the month. And then there will be a total of six breakout sessions um, uh, during you know, during that day and the technology um, platform that we're using to, you know, to, to support the virtual event um, will allow us to uh, conduct breakout sessions. We were a little concerned uh, as we were making the decision that we were going to have to uh, just hold a plenary session for, for the entire day, but working with AGA and the technology provider, there is, there is, will be an opportunity for individual breakouts. Right. Yeah. No. And then AGA is also it, doing theirs uh, virtually. The PDT is. I'm sure you know that. And I just wanted to throw this in there yeah. because um, I was very surprised. We had a luncheon just today or yesterday. I can't remember now. Sorry, bad memory. But we had an AGA luncheon for DC uh, chapter, and you know we usually get about I don't know maybe a hundred or pretty good turnout, hundred people or less. We had seven hundred people on that meeting. So, you know, I'm hoping that so that thing will translate to the PDT, to our firm summit, that maybe we'll pleasantly be surprised and get a huge surge in people attending because it's just much easier to do. Yeah, we actually talked a bit about that. So there, you know, the summit is, is traditionally a revenue opportunity, a revenue making opportunity. And, um, uh, and the fact that we're going virtual this year and have, um, and have structured the, um, the registration fee to essentially break even, um, you know, we're a little bit concerned about the long-term financial health of the organization. We'll be, we'll be, I'm sure we, we will be fine, but it was a topic of discussion. And, uh, and, and the issue that you just raised or the opportunity that you just raised where 700 people um, are attending a virtual uh, luncheon, you know, we, we have the same issue. You know, our, our quarterly luncheons are typically limited to 40 to 60 people. Well, doing it virtually, there is no cap on who can attend. There is no physical space limitations. And so uh, this, even though there is an immediate negative impact on the association, this also provides us an opportunity to expand beyond the federal government, beyond the you know traditional national capital region membership, and and move out into you know more into state, local, county, and um, other level you know tribal levels of government to uh, to participate in the summit, to participate in other events. But I, you know, I, you're your explanation of what happened, I, I've heard that from other folks where, you know, the, more than four times the number of people are participating in these events than have uh, because they're virtual and it's easy. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's round it off with our with the survey. So the annual firm survey went out uh, um, last Monday. Uh, it is going to be open for a shorter period of time. Um, it is available, obviously, as it has been in the past, um, uh, to federal employees. Uh, their email notification went out. We are advertising um, or extending the opportunity for um, non-member federal employees that, that are um, 
members of AGA or uh, members of the uh, Inspector General community um, to be able, and the Senior Executive Association to also to be able to um, uh, respond to the summit um, or to the um, uh, survey. But the survey is out. It is going to be open for a shorter period of time because primarily we have advanced the summit date and the guidehouse team that has been doing the survey needs this, roughly the same amount of time to collect and do the analysis and write the report and so on. So I encourage all federal members of the association to take the, the time um, to answer um, the survey questions. We have added four specific to the public health crisis, um, but the rest of the questions are the same as they have been for the last several years. Well, very good. Well, Ken, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I think this was some great information, and I'm happy we're able to still keep these going while we're all sitting at home and, uh, you know, getting some information out to our members. So thanks again, Ken. Well, thank you, Paul. It has been a long time in the planning, and I'm glad we were able to pull it off. And, and thanks for taking the time to make it happen. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out, affirm.org. As you probably already know, we're on SoundCloud now. You can get all your podcasts to your phone. It's the best way to listen to them while you're out on the go, while you're at home on the go. Of course, get caught up with our whole back catalog. And I'll be here putting out new ones as often as we can. So until next time, this is... Paul Marshall signing off for Risk Chats with a Firm.